All right, so if you have your Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Revelation 2, verse 1. And yes, phone Bible counts. That is good. And uh, just stick your finger in that because I don't want you to lose your place. We're going to come to it in a minute. And uh, while you're finding that, I will say that we're now in the second week of our series where we're talking about the seven churches in Revelation. And the reason we're doing this now is that we're in a season as a church where we're really bearing down and we're trying to seek God's will and God's counsel and, hey, and ask him, Lord, what kind of people do you want us to be? What kind of things do you want us to be doing in this season? And, and we believe that God has a specific word in his word for us, which is in this text over the coming weeks. So that's why we're doing this now. And last week, just to bring you up to speed, we acknowledged that, okay, before we can get to... Uh, fired up about even anything to do with the church, we need to make sure that our allegiance is to the head of the church, who is Jesus. So I hope that you guys have been doing some engaging with that, trying to think and pray through this week. Lord, where am I really at with you? Because uh, God will meet us in that, and obviously he wants us to be all in for him. So having acknowledged that, give, that gives us the context for where we're going this week and uh, where we're going for the next few weeks. So like I said, we're gonna be starting to talk today about different churches. And uh, what I want you to understand before we even get into it is this. When we talk about the church, the church, the church in this kind of, in this kind of environment, this kind of context, what I don't want you to picture is, oh, okay, like how we're organized, right? The organizational aspects. And, and, and listen, those are all well and good, but for our intents and purposes, I don't want you to think about like, oh, how we're structured, okay? What kind of building we have, or space we meet in, or what kind of worship style we have, or, or uh, what kind of programs we offer, or what our community involvement is, or what denomination we belong to, or what our website looks like, you understand? All those things are good, but that's not really what we're taking aim at when we're talking about the church. When, when, I, when, we, when we say church, the church, the church, I want you to picture this group of people right here this body of believers. Because after all, that is what the church really is, is the body of believers. I want you to be concerned with, okay, how are we doing as a group of people? How are we being formed? How are we developing? What are our actions like? What are our motivations like? That's what we're speaking to when we talk about the church. So heads nodding, everybody on the same page so far? Good, don't wanna lose you early. Uh, so with that, we'll get into the text, Revelation 2.1. It says, it starts off by saying this, to the angel of the church, so I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go off of that right away. You say you made it six words in and you're already off on a tangent. Well, you're welcome. There'll be lots of these. So in chapter one of Revelation, which we skipped a little bit of last week, um, it, it talks about angels of the seven churches. And scholars kind of debate as to what this means. There are some who think, oh, this is referring to heavenly beings who serve as sort of guardian, like guardian angels to each church. And the idea is that every church has some sort of uh, angelic sort of presence watching over it. That's one interpretation of that. There's also some who think, yeah, okay, this is heavenly beings, but it's more like messengers, and they just kind of show up when God has a message to send to his people. And then there are even some who think this is actually talking about like humans, like maybe, maybe uh, messengers or pastors or something. And uh, that probably wouldn't be the one I lean toward, but kind of doesn't what I'm trying to say this morning is we're not gonna get hung up on, oh, what does this angel thing mean? Because for our intents and purposes, here's what I want you to know. This is the Lord Jesus is speaking to his church. By whatever means he's doing it, this is the words of the Lord to his church. And since you and I belong to his church, 
We ought to be listening. We ought to have our ears and our eyes and our hearts open to that. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, somebody say Ephesus. You could probably say it a couple times fast and then it would be a tongue twister, but we won't do that. I won't put you through that. Okay, if you look on the screen, they should be here and we'll hope they turned out okay. I got a couple of pictures of where Ephesus is. Yes, well, it doesn't look very good, but you get the idea. So you can see where the red circle is. It's, in where, uh, it's where modern day Turkey is. And uh, you can see it's sort of right on the border of Europe on the left and Asia on the right. You can see Israel kind of down here on the bottom for some context in Greece and Rome. If you go to the next picture, this is just like a little zoom in on Turkey. It's right under where the current city of Izmir is. And in case you're like, why do I care about this? I just have to tell you, this is like a slam dunk for me because I love maps, right, Lori? I have, I, like, it's like a borderline obsession with maps. I have Google Maps bookmarked on my browser, on my laptop, hashtag unashamed, that's where I am. So anytime I can use a map, I will use a map, and that's what you're gonna get for another few weeks after this, so you're welcome. Now, Ephesus, just to talk a little bit about it, to give us some context, it was a major city in the first century AD. There were upwards of 250,000 people living there at the time. So it's a bustling place, lots of activity, lots going on, and you can see where it's located. Right on the left is the Aegean Sea, which is part of the Mediterranean Sea. So they had a port in Ephesus, and that brought in all kinds of people and trading and commerce, lots of activity going on there. Ephesus was also the home of the temple of Artemis. Somebody say Artemis. Now, I think we have a picture of that as well. Yes, here it is. This is, this is not the actual temple of Artemis that was there 2,000 years ago. This is a reconstruction of what they think it might have looked like. And you don't really like, get the full grasp of it by looking at that, but that building, uh, it, was a, it was a temple, obviously dedicated to this pagan goddess Artemis. And it was so big and grand, it actually was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it, it kind of, like I say, it doesn't do it so much justice, but you can see it's a pretty magnificent building. And uh, we read about this Artemis in a place like uh, Acts 19, I think it is. Paul is going around, he's in Ephesus, he's preaching, teaching, talking a lot about Jesus. Some people didn't like that, that's still the case today. And so a riot breaks out, and they're coming after Paul, and they're all yelling, some of them are yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Well, that was apparently where she resided or where she was worshipped. So I want you to see there's pagan worship happening in the city and um, what this text is going to tell us is that there was also a church there. And, and, and the reason I say all of this is because it's good to kind of get an idea of the context kind of that this was written in. And I would say this as well. It's good for us to know our context, right? It's good for us to look around and say, okay, we're in the city of St. John, how are things going in St. John right now? Uh, what opportunities are there for the gospel to be shared and for the gospel to flourish, right? What, is, what does God seem to be doing right now, right? Because we believe God is living and active. He hasn't forgotten about St. John, like he's doing something. So, so what can we do to serve the Lord in our great city, right? It's good to know our context like that. That was just a freebie, but anyway. Um, so we're gonna still be in verse one. It says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Again, if you read Revelation 1, you would see that's a reference to Jesus Christ. That's who that's talking about. So the words of him, the words of Jesus. Again, we need to make sure we're listening up for this. This is our Lord Jesus talking. And um, 
before we get into what he actually says, um, I want to just reemphasize what I said last week, that Jesus loves his church. If you are a part of the church, if you're a believer, hey, Jesus loves his church. He has grace and he has peace for his church. So no matter what we read in the coming verses, we have to remember that. That's the baseline. That's where it begins. Love, grace, peace for us. And because what you're going to see is with this church and with all the other ones, uh, Jesus has some good things to say about them. And then he oftentimes has some not so good things to say about them. And... Uh, that's what the kind of pattern we're going to follow as we go through this. We're going to talk about the good things, we're going to talk about the bad things, and then we're going to talk about, hey, where do we fit into this as a church ourselves? Because again, we believe that this isn't just a word for the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago. This is a word for us today. So with that, we'll look at verse 2, and we'll start on the commendations, the good things that the Lord has to say to his church. Uh, Revelation 2.2 says, I know your works. This is Jesus talking. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. So I want to just go through that when it says I know your works, okay? The Lord sees what we do and works, it's a rocket science concept. We've talked about it before. Works are just things that we do, right? There are good works, there are bad works, there are works anywhere in the middle. Regardless of what they are, the Lord sees them. And uh, so this church was obviously engaged in works. They were doing something. They weren't dead. That's a good start. We'll give them a little bit of kudos for that. And then it says your toil. So this gives you a picture. They weren't just working. They were working hard, right? You don't toil at something easy. So this, this is a good thing as well because really... Um, not to make it too cliche, but oftentimes things that are really good don't come super easy. Sometimes they do. But, but at the bottom, of the lo- bottom line is this, that it's a privilege to work hard and serve uh, the kingdom of the Lord. So this is a good thing, their toil. And it also mentions their patient endurance. This is definitely commendable because, true or false, it's sometimes difficult to be patient. What's that? I can't hear you. <laughs> Coffee kicking in or what here, guys? Anyway, yes, it's true. Because our culture, right, we prize, we value instant gratification, right? If you don't believe me, just look around. Like, you talk, like, like drive-thrus, just saying, good example. If you have to wait for three minutes in the drive-thru, it's this travesty. And I'm like, I don't know about you, I'd kind of prefer if it took them longer than three minutes to cook my food, but I don't know. Anyway, another freebie, stick to the script. Um, when it talks about your patient endurance, right, so we are conditioned to, to want what we want when we want it, which is now or yesterday, and if anything stands in our way of getting what we want when we want it, we kind of can freak out, or at least I can. Maybe not you good Christian folk, but um, that happens to me sometimes. And um, conversely to that, though, the Ephesian church, we see that they were patiently enduring, right? They were aware that sometimes ministry is a long haul, it's kind of a grind, and they were, uh, they were in it for the long game, okay? They weren't freaking out that immediate success wasn't maybe coming their way right in the moment. And when it talks about the word endurance too, right? This is a long haul word. You don't need a lot of endurance to run the 100 meter. Just saying. You need, you need endurance to run the, the 100 kilometer, 
okay? And that is a thing. I know a guy who runs, I don't know what their Iron Man or like Crazy Man or whatever they're called races. He runs 100 kilometers at once. And I'm like, I get tired if I drive 100 kilometers at once. And so he's running these and uh, we'll pray for him because there's obviously something going on there. No, I'm just kidding. But you get the idea. The Ephesian church was patiently serving. They were enduring despite their circumstances. And uh, even though they might have been tired, they had not grown weary. They hadn't thrown in the towel. They weren't ready to give up. They had patient endurance. Now it says, Jesus also says to them, talks about how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Okay, so we'll work through that too. This idea of, of not bearing with evil, okay, that's all through the scriptures and the idea is kind of this. Uh, there are people who do evil, wicked things and if we hang around them for too long, we're likely to get kind of pulled into that and we might start doing them ourselves. So we're not supposed to bear uh, with stuff that's evil going on. But here's the thing. This verse actually looks like it's specifically talking about uh, stuff going on inside the church. And I'll explain because it says, um, it talks about the apostles thing. And um, what happens, and we'll see it this week a little bit, we're gonna see it more in a couple weeks, is, is that sometimes things go on inside the church that the Lord doesn't really want to be going on and that we're supposed to speak up against those things in a loving way and deal with them and not kind of let them go on. And um, again, one example that, that, that of, of this kind of evil taking place, you see it right here. It's those who call themselves apostles and are not. So all throughout church history, this is not a new thing and it will happen until the Lord returns again. There are people who seek to be in positions of leadership and authority in the church who sort of shouldn't be there for various reasons, right? There are people who are in it for, like they have the wrong motives, they're in it to, for personal gain, they exploit people, or, or they lead people astray, they teach false things, right? The Bible's full of this language of false teacher, false prophet, false apostle. And God hates when this happens. He hates it. And that would certainly constitute evil like he's talking about there. And what I want you to see is the Ephesian church didn't tolerate that, okay? They didn't just say, oh, well, it seems like it's mostly true teaching. Oh, well, it seems like it's mostly pure-hearted. We're good with it. They sniffed it out. They deal with it. They cannot bear with it. And, and, and Jesus is saying to them, this is a really good thing, okay? Because he doesn't want that to be taking place in his church, now, I want, I want us to skip to verse 6. It's on there as well. Um, it says, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. And I'm just going to tell you the inner struggle I've had all week with that. In my mind, it should be Nicolaitans. It rolls off the tongue easier. But it is not, so I have to deal with it. It's Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. So we don't necessarily know a lot about the Nicolaitans, uh, but it's clear from the text, and we'll see them in a couple of weeks as well, um, that they were a heretical sort of group. They were not really in line with uh, the Orthodox uh, scriptures and the teachings in them. And it's believed that one area, again, we don't know a lot about them, but it's believed that one area where they were sort of offside uh, with the Lord and with, with the true church was uh, with regard to their sexual practices. There was sexual immorality going on, and they were advocating for it and that kind of thing. So obviously not very good. And 
What is clear, though, is that the people in the church in Ephesus, they were not for that. They didn't tolerate that. They didn't just allow that to exist in the church. And um, Jesus, again, commends them for this, okay? You guys get the idea, right? Jesus expects the church to deal with people who are advocating for untruthful things, and we deal with it lovingly. Let's go back to verse 3, jumping around. Verse 3 says, I know you are enduring patiently. There's the patient endurance again. And bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So they, these guys, again, it doesn't say a lot, but they may have been like suffering, waiting, grinding through, patiently serving. But they hadn't gotten to the point, right? They might have been tired, but they did not get to the point where they said, I'm out. I'm out of here. This isn't worth it anymore. They're in it uh, for the long haul. And, and what I want you to see in all of that stuff we just read is that the Lord has a lot of good stuff to say about this church. And I kind of look at our church, and I would say the Lord would probably have some good things to say to us, right? We need to see where are we kind of in this story. Um, he acknowledges that these guys are patient, hardworking, engaged in good works, and intolerant of false teachers. So he notices, and he commends them for it. This is what Jesus does. And uh, these are big thumbs up in the eyes of the Lord. And he starts with the good things, but he's going to now sort of turn to a not-so-good sort of thing. And uh, this is where kind of the Ephesians started to go off the rails a little bit. Um, so we'll look now kind of at the rebukes that Jesus has for this church. And again, what I want to emphasize is this. Remember I said Jesus loves his church. Jesus has grace and peace for his church. What you're going to notice in this text, he does not say, I am against you. That's not what he says. He says, I have this against you. And there's really a big fundamental difference there because if it's, I am against you, oh, like that's pretty heavy. That's a, that's, that's a condemnation, right? But we read in scripture that right when we become Christians, right, God, God accepts us. God is always for us. God is not against us. And so when we look at it through that lens of, of I have this against you instead, that means the context of this is, I love you, you're my people, you're my church, I have good things for you, but just so you know, I see this going on, and because I love you, we gotta deal with this. That's the dirt that we're digging in here. And, and, and because Jesus loves us, he has to bring this up. It would be unloving for Jesus to not say anything and let us continue on in stuff that he doesn't want us to be in. Do you understand? Love for us is the context of this. So let's get to it. Verse four says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now, there's a few different ways we can slice this. I'm picturing like triangular pizza or square pizza. No matter how you slice this, it doesn't really look good though. And uh, there's, there's a few different ways we can look at it. And, and, and what I will say is this, it's a pretty serious rebuke no matter what because love is the top of the list defining mark for us as Christians. That's like the number one of our faith is love. God, what I want you to see is that God initiates with us in the first place because of love, right? You are Sunday school raised people, some of you, and you know John 3.16, God so loved the world that, right, that he did something, that he, excuse me, gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, all in one breath. That's not that easy to do, I guess. 
Now, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to us. So Jesus dies on the cross for our sins in our place so that we could have forgiveness from sins and freedom from sin and that we could be brought into God's family and be in his presence and have access to him and have a relationship with him. That's what we were designed to have. And Jesus accomplishes this for us. And once we get enveloped into this, again, that loving act that God has done for us, we get marked and defined by love as well. And I'll explain this as we go. Some people could read this verse. You could read, uh, they abandoned the love they had at first. You could read that to say, oh, that means the Ephesians abandoned their love for God. And this may well be true. And it's not very good. Just in case that was unclear. Because... I mean, I probably don't even need to tell you, but I mean, the greatest, the, 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 the greatest commandment Jesus gives us in Scripture is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So immediately, if they don't love God, well, they're offside with that. And I'm just saying, if you get offside at the beginning, imagine how far off you'll be at the end, right? So that is a problem. And what may have been the case for the Ephesians is that, hey, they started out strong, right? They had the love at first, but they've drifted from it and they've moved from it and, and, and their love started to fade. Maybe they even started to love the stuff more than their savior, right? What, whatever it is, some of the good things they were doing even. Maybe they loved the doctrinal purity. Maybe they loved the, the good works they were doing. Maybe they loved just showing up and rolling up their sleeves and getting the job done more than they loved the Lord. That's a problem. That's a problem. Let it be known, listening ears, let it be known that the only real, lasting source of fuel for us to live life as a Christian, the only lasting source of fuel for that is a love for the Lord Jesus. If we lose that, man, we, like we have sawn off the branch we were sitting on, okay? We have, we have lost our fuel source because over time, let me even ask it this way. How many of you know that sometimes being a Christian is difficult? How many of you know sometimes there are seemingly easier ways to do things than what the Lord wants us to do, right? How many of you, right? How many of you, it's inconvenient sometimes? And oh, it'd be so much easier if I could just do it my way. That's folly, but anyway, you get the point. Sometimes that's the way life is. It's not that easy to be a Christian. And I'm just saying, if you don't love the Lord, like if that isn't at the bedrock of your faith, your odds of, of coming into something in your life that just is too difficult to keep on with, man, that's much higher. You're gonna come across something that you just say, you know what, this is too much. This isn't worth it anymore. I'm out, see you later. You know what I mean? Unless that love is there. If love is our motivation, if love is our deepest reason for keeping on, love for the Lord, that's gonna sustain us through all these times where, yep, it'd probably be easier to do something else, but I love the Lord, so I'm doing it his way. You guys know where I'm going with that. Now, again, this may have been what happened to the church at Ephesus. Uh, they had let their love for the Lord drift off and, and they've lapsed into some lesser thing, religion, just a shell of what they were. You could also read that verse, verse 4, you abandoned the love you had at first. You could read that as the Ephesian church had abandoned the love they had for one another. It's kind of a little bit intentionally vague, I think. Um, and that's also a problem because 
the great commandment that you guys already said has two parts, right? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to see that these aren't two distinct different things. These are two motions of the same swing, okay? I love golf. I'm a golf guy. And so when you're golfing, you stand up to the ball, you address the ball, and you look about 300 yards or so, wink, wink, down the fairway to make sure nobody's there and you're going to hit them. And then you start out with your backswing, right? And then you follow through on your foreswing. Well, those aren't two different swings. That's two parts of the same swing. And so it is, so it is with this here. How it's supposed to work, by the way, is that when we become Christians, when we are saved by Jesus, the love that he gives us, it starts to well up and build inside of us. And as we go and as we grow in Christ, the love just builds and it's supposed to spill out from us and overflow in us. And that affects the people who are in your immediate vicinity. It affects the way that you treat other people. And, and the result, when we do that, all of us who claim the name of Jesus as a church, when we do that, man, the result is our church is living in a place where we're just like loving the socks off of one another, man. Like it's just like, there's just love and acts of love. And I'm not talking even about, oh, the feelings that love brings. Those are fine. But I'm saying like you're seeing love in action by the things that we're doing for one another to help one another. You start to see that. And here's what I'll say about that. That is a profound witness to the world because no matter how good someone who doesn't know Christ, no matter how good a relationship they might have with somebody or whatever the case may be, like when this is working properly, they don't have this. And you might remember Jesus said in John 13, I think it's verse 35, he said, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my people, that you love one another. This is, this is how the world can look at us and tell that we're Christians, or that at least that there's something different about us, which could lead to a conversation. But what can unfortunately happen is that if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we're not stoking the fire, that love can start to sort of fade. And if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, we get to a place where all of a sudden we're not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and this is where we start to get critical and judgmental of one another. This is where we start pointing out others' flaws and their shortcomings. This is where we start getting into fights. This is where we start gossiping about one another. Somebody's like, oh, I think my phone's ringing. I gotta leave, oh. This is where we start questioning one another's motives and their heart for doing things. It gets ugly pretty fast. And what I want you to see is whether the Ephesians lost their love for the Lord or their love for one another, in some ways it almost doesn't even matter. Because like I said, those two things, love for God, love for others, they are inextricably tied. Two motions of the same swing. We're not supposed to love Jesus and not love each other, people. We're not supposed to love each other and not love Jesus either. It's a both and. 
And when all of the mechanics are working right, what happens is the love for Jesus leads to the love for one another. And I'm saying if any one of those elements is missing, something is afoot. We got to examine ourselves. And whichever it was for the Ephesians, love for the Lord or love for one another, the point is this, their heart was off. It was a problem in their heart. And Jesus keeps on at them, and he says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Jesus is saying, hey, remember. Remember how things were in the beginning. Remember what it was like when you got saved and you were just overflowing with joy and love for me and love for one another. Like, remember what that was like. And if we don't have that love, he says, we have fallen. It's not, oh, well, we've just gotten used to each other. Oh, well, we've just, you know, we've gotten older and wiser and we're better at ministry and we're more streamlined in our delivery now. No, like, you have fallen. You've gotten worse if this has lapsed in any way. And, and the word Jesus has for us in that, still in verse five, is repent. You haven't heard the last of that word, just saying. We're gonna talk about that quite a bit in the coming weeks. And repent, as I've said over and over again, it means to turn it around. You're going this way, you gotta be going this way. Whatever you're doing, stop doing that. It's something needs to change and quick. Repent and do the works you did at first. I find that to be really interesting language because we've already identified these guys were doing quite a bit, right? Their works were not zero and they may have even been like priding themselves on all the stuff they were doing and Jesus is saying hey forget that stuff and do the works you did at first I could just hear them well, what are you talking about Jesus we are working and he says you know what all those works without the love those aren't pleasing to me they're not pleasing to me the love was missing and it made all the difference it's not something we can just sidestep or skirt around. It makes all the difference. He says, if not, if you don't repent, if you don't change your ways, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You know what that means? Jesus is going to shut her down. That's what it means. And, and, and we don't always like to think in these terms or, or find ourselves thinking in these terms. I know like, Sometimes as leaders in the church, it's like, okay, we've got X amount of people uh, that come on Sunday and we've got X amount of dollars in the bank and we've got X amount of stuff going on. Things look like they're going all right. We'll be set for a while yet. The reality is Jesus could shut the church down at the snap of his fingers if he wanted to. Jesus loves the church so much that he's not gonna tolerate such an epic, flagrant fail, right? Missing the mark so bad. He's saying it's better, it's better that the doors would be closed than for you to keep going this way. And, and what we need to remember, what I need you to see is, not, again, not only does Jesus love his church, Jesus is Lord over his church. That's his call. I'll do this unless you repent. It's pretty clear. It's not hold a committee meeting. We need another board meeting. We need to change up our worship style. We need to offer trendy new programming. Nope, it's repent. If you don't get this turned around, Jesus says, I'm gonna shut you down. If you don't seek the Lord, if you don't get a heart adjustment, if you don't love me or one another, says Jesus, you might as well not even bother. 
That's how, that's how serious this is. Now, we already read verse 6, so let's move on to verse 7. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A.K.A., and that's a phrase that will come up a lot. A.K.A., we would do well to hear what the Lord is saying and to listen and follow him in obedience. Okay? It's not a case of, okay, Lord, thanks for that. I'll take it into consideration, but I'll probably just do what I want anyway. Though that's like, he who has an ear, let him hear and let him do what he's hearing. We aren't supposed to just hear this and move on without doing anything about it. Let us examine ourselves. Let us hear what the Lord is saying to his church. He says, the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the one who conquers, this is the one who has victory in Jesus, the one who follows and loves and serves him faithfully, even to the end. The tree of life, the paradise of God. This is speaking of eternal life with Jesus forever. And this is the road as Christians, the road we're on, that's where it ends, in his presence, fullness of joy forevermore. This is good stuff. Jesus is saying, hey, this is what I have for you. If you have an ear, listen and follow me. So with that, I have a couple of minutes left. I want to talk about us. Somebody says, I don't usually like it when you talk about us, <laughs> but here we are. I want us to examine ourselves. Hey, where do we fit into this as the harbor, right? Here's what I would say right off the hop is that my observation is that we have not been in the middle of what I would call the easiest season of ministry. Some of you guys who have been involved in the church or in ministry a long time, uh, you, you know that sometimes things seem like they're going really well and the, you know, the wind is in your sails and it seems like stuff is coming pretty easy. And then other times it's not quite the same, right? Other times it's like, oh, this is like we're grinding through. It's like every step takes a lot of work. And, and like even for us right now, like even to get together and meet on a Sunday and do what we do is a lot of work. Somebody's like, amen, amen, I know that it is. And um, some of you guys, like I look around and I see a lot of you guys are patiently enduring and you're toiling and you're laboring. Some of you guys spend a lot of time and effort and energy in ministry, right? Right? You get here early on a Sunday morning to set this place up. You serve all the way through the service. You stay late to tear stuff down. You go home and get your house ready for small group. You drive people all across the countryside to get them to your house for small group. You feed them, so you gotta cook something. And then when they're done, they're lingering in your house till like 10, in the, 10 at night and you wanna go to bed. Then you gotta drive them home. And then you're praying for people, right? And, and you're serving them through the week and you're meeting with people through the week and you're putting miles on your car or your walking shoes. Some of you are working really, really hard. And what I'll say about that is the Lord sees that, right? It's good to be doing that and the Lord takes notice. And the leaders of your church take notice. So I wanted to just say thank you guys for serving the way that you do. Um, sidebar, if you were to examine yourself and say, you know what, I'm fine, I'm, I'm not doing like too, too much these days. Well, guess what? It's a good time because there's lots to do. So come and see me, see someone, we'll give you a job to do. <laughs> just saying. So, so with that in mind, again, by the way, I'm not saying it's been a bad season. I just mean that we're kind of in one of those grind seasons where we're just pushing through and trusting that the Lord uh, is with us and is guiding us. With that in mind, a uh, couple of big questions that we need to ask ourselves. You can probably guess what they are. Number one is this. 
Do we love the Lord? Do we love the Lord? Right? I, I don't want it to be a case for us of we've abandoned the love that we had at first. Do we love the Lord? And we, we talked about that last week, right? And again, I hope that you are still considering, hey, where am I at with this? Where's my love for the Lord these days? Am I growing in that? Um, because we need to ask ourselves, do I actually love Jesus? Is my heart for Jesus? Do I have affections for Jesus? Do I delight in Jesus? Do I purpose to live my life for the one who I love? We need to examine ourselves. And, and I love you, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't say some of you guys are trying to go through the motions without really loving him or growing in your love for him. Right, and, and I'm not saying, good grief, I'm not saying, well, that means oh, you must not be saved then. No, that's not what I mean. I'm just saying, though, if you're not growing, if you're not moving forward in your faith, if you're not uh, obeying, following the voice of the Lord, if you're not uh, marked by affections for him, if you aren't having allegiance for him, I'm just saying now is the time to examine yourself and say something's going on. I've got to figure out what this is. Don't just cruise along. Next big question is this. How are we doing at loving one another? Two motions of the same swing, people. In some ways, I want to just commend you guys because in some ways in our church, like there's some really good stuff in this regard happening. I see some of you guys and I see that like there's relationships that you guys have with one another and they're totally marked by like love and sacrifice and, and respect and honoring and you're having fun together and you cherish one another and you enjoy each other's company. It's really, really good. Praise the Lord for that. That's so good. I'm just saying though, in some ways, and this is probably one of those ones we'll always be able to do this, uh, we have room that we could still grow in this as a body. For sure we do. And I'll put my hand up first and I'll say, you know what, I haven't always been the perfect practitioner of this. Looking around at my brothers and sisters in Christ, I haven't always loved them as best as I could, as well as I could, to the degree the Lord is calling me to. And I'm guessing that some of you would say the same thing. So we're not going to rehash the details of that. I'm just saying, like sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes we're critical of one another. Sometimes we, sometimes we aren't appreciative of one another and, and the contribution someone else is making. Sometimes we question one another's motivations. Sometimes we speak harshly to each other. Sometimes we gossip about one another. You say, not in this church we don't. Well... Sometimes we insult others and put them down. I'm just saying, like, I've, I've seen, I've witnessed, I've done. I've done some things that aren't really super kosher there. I'm just saying we need to watch ourselves. This is something to watch out for. And, and we need to check our hearts in that. Hey, what would cause me to not love a brother or sister the way that I should, the way that I could? So as a church, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up here. As a church... Um, we need to be open and honest with ourselves about this stuff, okay? Uh, you might be examining yourself against this and saying, wow, okay, I really, need to, I really need to put some effort into my relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, the love, you know, I, it's not that I'm totally just cold 
for the Lord, but I, I know that there's more there. I know, I, I know that there's just more that I can dive into. Hey, like, if that's you today, the good news is you can meet with the Lord about that. You can talk to him. That's absolutely something God will honor. God, I, wanna, I want more love for you in my life. Do you think he's going to answer that? Like, yeah, he probably will. So get with the Lord. Just be honest with him. Go before him and just tell him this stuff. You can do that starting today and ongoing. You might be here uh, and, and you might say, well, you know what? I've just been brought to mind about, uh, you know, how I haven't loved a brother or sister the way that I should. And uh, you might need to ask for forgiveness from the Lord for that. And that might lead to the sort of sometimes uncomfortable step of going to that person and apologizing. Maybe it's someone like who's here today. I don't know. But what I do know is this. We aren't going anywhere as a church if we don't get this love thing right. Nowhere. We will spin our wheels and sputter and go around and around. This is of utmost importance. I, I believe this is why this church is listed first. Now, like I said, we're going to wrap up, and, and here's what we're going to do today. And by the way, this, uh, we're going to respond to this. And our response is not just, oh, the next five minutes, and we'll check it off the box and whatever. I, I, my hope for you is that our response to the Word is going to be today and this afternoon and ongoing through the week. We've got to keep growing into this stuff, but our response is going to start right now. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take communion together. And the cool thing about that is that in communion, right, this is where we remember the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross for us. And, and in communion, there's this love for the Lord aspect, right? We meet with the Lord as we come to this time, and it's an act of worship. God, I love you. Thank you for doing this for me. You offer up your praise to him for that, your adoration for that, and you eat and you drink the emblems in remembrance and in worship of him. So that's cool. As well, there's the element of loving one another because we get to do this together, right? We get to look around and we get to look somebody in the eye, right? And acknowledge, hey, Jesus died for me. He died for you. He died for us. We get to cherish one another and encourage one another by these words and by this act that we're doing together. So that's also pretty cool. So that's what we're gonna do. So in a minute, don't get up yet. What we're going to do is we're going to have sort of a participatory communion time this morning. And uh, there's going to be a few people with the bright silver trays kind of throughout the room. What I want you to do in a minute is to get up out of your seat. I want you to go find someone who's got one of those trays. I want you to just get informally into some groups. And we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to linger on it. I want you to take communion with some people this morning. I want you to talk to some people. I want you to look them in the eye. I want you to encourage them. I want you to celebrate this together. Does that sound good? Making sense? Heads nodding? We've got to get warmer in here anyway, so it's going to work. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, I'm going to release you to go and to take communion, and um, then we'll move on in our service. So God.